0: Okay, so uh, if you do get our emails and if you do read your emails, uh, you know that we have a guest speaker tonight, but before I introduce our guest speaker, we have another guest speaker tonight. Uh, we'll have dueling guest speakers. Now, we, uh, we have Bubba Justice. Uh, Bubba is, you live in Birmingham, Alabama, which just sounds so cool, Birmingham, Alabama. But, uh, and Bubba uh, planted and pastored in that community a vineyard church there for 23 years, But he's now shifted on, he, and I'll let you explain what you do, he is the national coordinator for the vineyard movement in the United States, which sounds stressful to me. But uh, uh, I have asked, Bubba has a unique uh, perspective on the movement, and I've asked him to just come for a little bit here and share sort of his view of what's going on in the vineyard. So Bubba, come on up, let's welcome Bubba.
1: It's an incredible privilege to be with you tonight, Uh, and uh, I want to brag on you guys in just a moment, but just also give you a bigger picture of what the Vineyard's like in the U.S. and the world, so I want to share with you 10 things you may not know about the Vineyard. Number one, we have Vineyard churches or mission efforts in 102 nations around the world. The U.S. has 589 congregations. We have congregations, number three, that speak in English, Spanish, Korean, Mandarin, Cantonese. That t- tomorrow, when they have church services, will have these different languages and others. One out of every, number four, one out of every six vineyard senior pastors is non white. Uh, number five, 92 women senior pastors, 24 are the main solo pastors and uh, 68 co-pastor with their spouse or with someone else. 40, number six, 47% of our church leaders who are not senior pastors are women. Uh, number seven, uh, Vineyard wrote a song, released an album uh, recently, and one of the songs on there is All to You Jesus. It is streamed 497,000 times on Spotify. The geographic center of the vineyard in the United States is in uh, central Ohio. There are more vineyard churches per capita than anywhere else in the United States. Uh, Now, I want to brag on your church a little bit. I don't know how much I'll brag on your own church, but I want to brag on your church a little bit. Your church is in the top 4% of Vineyard Churches in generosity in the United States. So I just, yes, that's great. Your church is almost in the top 10% in attendance in the Vineyard Churches in the United States. And then I'll give you a couple of bonuses just about your church. Uh, Your very own J.T. Meyer wrote "Slow Kingdom Coming," and it has been added to the largest Christian Spotify playlist in the nation. And and then just on on uh, Danny and Penny, just bragging on them. They are the leaders. They're I, I don't know if everybody knows this, but they're the regional leaders. Vineyards divided in the United States into sixteen regions they 're the leader of this region in central Ohio, which is one of the most influential regions. Uh, their work in missions and the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, is leads the nation I mean Phil you are here in just a moment now we we're talking last night and talked about how much they 've influenced the vineyard movement your pastors for these past number of years. I know that about in two thousand, I came to a conference at Columbus and they presented. Their message on the gospel of wholeness. Uh, And it's one of the most influential teachings and the manuals that I got in my counseling ministry as a pastor. Uh, And so just really appreciate you and your church and want to thank you for what you do for the Vineyard
0: Movement. Thanks. Thank you, Bubba. All right. Our next (laughs) guest speaker, he's got a two minute rebuttal to it. Bubba just said, no. <clears throat> so uh, uh like Bubba was saying, Danny is the regional overseer of, we have a region here, the Great Lakes East. I don't know how many p- churches are in that about fifty and we just came off a uh, two day retreat where phil uh, Phil Chorlian was our guest speaker and it was awesome. Uh, phil is the uh, both planting and he uh, is pastoring the North Jersey Vineyard Church in oh someone just I don't know how to read that. South, somewhere, in New Jersey. I had Teeterboro, but that's not right, is it? South. <laughs> is that your handwriting? Oh, no. I just. Oh, I feel bad now, because I just. I feel. Oh, no. What he said. South Hackysack. 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 Okay, I'll just stick with, he is a pastor in the northeast region of this country. He is on the executive team, which is uh, the, on the, like, the national board for uh, Vineyard USA, and he part of his current responsibility is heading up the healthy uh, church team, which I think is awesome. So, Phil, come on up. I want to welcome you here, uh, and uh, excited about what you have to share with us tonight. So, bless you. Thank
2: you, Michael. Thanks. No, no, no problem. All right, well, hey, it is good to be with you guys. Um, uh, Michael got my name right. That actually, most people don't get my last name right, so you got that perfect. So, so the town's not as far. We moved We moved uh, about a year ago from Teterboro to, to South Hackensack, just about a mile, just about a mile away. where uh, church is right outside of New York City. Um, uh just about five minutes from the george washington bridge if anybody anybody knows where that is i have a little bit of a jersey accent i was a i was an actor back in my early 20s so i had to get i had to work to get the regionalism out of my out of my voice but it still kind of comes up every now and then i've been talking a lot for the last couple days so it might you know I'm a little tired i might might have it come back uh some more but uh but it is it is really good to be with you guys uh i'm uh, you know, it's just—it's just so much fun to, to just kind of you know travel around and get to see what God is doing in other places. Um, and uh, as as Michael said, uh, I've been I've been speaking at this this regional conference. It really is you know just an amazing region. Like what God is doing in Ohio is just incredible. And and I'm over this this thing called the the Healthy Church Development Team, where we try to figure out ways that we can just kind of help help and strengthen the local church. Um, because, you know, we, the Bible really makes it very clear and, uh, and we believe with all our heart that the local church is a really big deal. That the local, the local expressions. I just think, I mean, the church. There's a concept is just really amazing. That that all over, all over the world, are these these local churches that that will be meeting. Just you know, just I don't know, hundreds of millions, billions of people will be meeting uh, this weekend in local churches all over the world. And 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 so I know that you know, probably. Sometimes, you know, we just kind of get caught up in the, the daily, you know, going to church and the things that we do. And we don't stop and kind of realize what a big deal the local church is. And so let me, let me just read a couple of passages of scripture. And this, these passages of scripture, high Christology passages of scripture, just says a lot about who Jesus is. But I, I want to read these and just listen for, for what it says about the local church. Okay, first is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. And it says, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Let's just take a moment for that. It says that Jesus made everything. That everything that exists was made by Jesus. Not only did Jesus make everything, Jesus holds everything together. If it wasn't for Jesus, apparently, I don't know how this works, but it seems to suggest that if it wasn't for Jesus, everything would just kind of fly apart. That he not only created everything, he holds everything together. He's before all things. In him, all things are held together. He is the head of the body, the church. So just, I mean, just incredible things that are, that are listed out here about who Jesus is. All the fullness of the deity dwells in him. All things are reconciled, you know, in the universe, reconciling himself to all things, made peace through his bloodshed on the cross. But in the middle of that, in the middle of all of this incredible stuff about who Jesus is, it says he is the head of the body, the church. So he's the head of the church. He's the head of the local church. We see it again, Ephesians 1, 19 to 23. Again, just incredible stuff about who Jesus is and what he does. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I mean, yeah, Jesus, you know, far above every single, day. no name that you could come up with, no power, no potentate, no head of state, no spiritual being that is higher than Jesus. He is above every single, every single created entity, far above all of it. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So again, another one, just incredible stuff about who Jesus is and what he does. And it says he is the head of the church. And so what I want to talk about tonight... And, and I've, you know, I've preached it. One of the nice things when you get asked to preach, you know, for a different church, you can just kind of look over your, your sermons and just be like, oh, what, what, what did I really like? What was fun to preach? And you pray a little bit, God, what do you want me to preach? Um, and, uh, and, and I actually, a couple times now, I've, pre- I've preached this four times in my church because we do four services a weekend, and I've preached it in two other churches. And I want to preach it here just because I just, I love talking about the church. I love talking about what God can do in and through the church. I want to talk about why the church really matters, I want to talk about why what goes what goes on here, you know, in this community, why it's really important because we can lose sight of it. We can kind of forget, you know, we can just kind of even even people who are pastors can get kind of caught up in the mundane, you know, the day to day and kind of and kind of lose sight and and the Bible just makes it really clear that the local church is the hope of the world. And the reason the local church is the hope of the world isn't because we're smart and isn't because we've got everything figured out. ...the reason the local church is the hope of the world... ...is because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And Jesus Christ is not the head of any other organization on planet Earth. He is not the head of any government. He is not the head of Apple. He is not the head of, you know, any uh, state, any entity. He is not the head of anything, but he is the head of the church. And so Jesus, who is the one who created all things... ...and who holds everything together... He is the head of this thing that we call the local church, and so therefore, this thing that we call the local church is really important, and it really matters. And if we stop and we just kind of think about it, you know, I, I grew up in the church. I grew up in, a, in a, um, an evangelical free church. I don't know if anybody, if, I don't know if there are lots of those around here. Uh, so it was a very conservative evangelical church, but it was a good church. It was a church where I learned, you know, I learned the gospel. I learned, you know, the message of the Bible. Didn't really, it wasn't a lot about the Holy Spirit. Wasn't a lot about worship. Worship was like three hymns, a hymn in the beginning, in the middle, in the end. My mother was the organist and the choir director. And my father was, was a deacon in the church. And, and I think about the influence that, that growing up in the local church had on me. Just, you know, the imperfect local church. I think about all the Sunday school classes that I went to. I was, I was a little bit of a knucklehead of a kid, though. I, was, I gave my, you know, my parents to run for their money. So, so I used to have this thing. The Sunday school would be uh, for like... It was like at 9.30 was Sunday school, and the church was at 11. So my parents... I remember when I was in junior high school, my parents would would drop me off for Sunday school. We lived about a mile from the church. Would drop me off for Sunday school, and I'd go in one door, and then I'd go out the back door. And there was a baseball field across the street... And so I would I would go into the dugout in the baseball field across the street and smoke instead of instead of going to instead of going to Sunday school. I just need to confess that I have to get that off my chest. Maybe you guys can pray for me. But and that worked out pretty well until like the Sunday school teacher said, we haven't seen Phil in church. And my mom said, we drop him off every single morning. We don't know what's you know kind of what's going on here. I think about you know all of the 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 VBS classes, the the youth groups, you know the things that you know at times in my life I was forced to go to, but I was there. I remember being 14 years old, and my, my, my church, we, we would do, uh, they would do this kind of like evangelical confirmation class, and, and so when I was in, I think it was 8th grade, so I was 13 maybe, uh, there were about five other 8th graders, and so we, for a few weeks, we'd go in the afternoon, and we would sit with the, with the pastor, with the senior pastor, and, and I remember sitting there, you know, being in 8th grade, and he explained the gospel, it just kind of explained what it meant to put your faith in Jesus and what Jesus did at the cross. And I just I, I distinctly remember. I remember sitting there and uh, and I lived about you know about a mile from the church. So I think I was walking home. And I remember walking home and just thinking, huh, okay, I I understand that now. I know, I know what it means to put your, I don't want to do it yet, but I but I understand. I, I kind of I get I get what it is that that maybe I need to do at some, at some point. And then when I was 17 years old, I had this radical, I met Jesus, my life was turned around. I remember being baptized when I was 17 years old in that church. I mean, as I go through and as I think about all of the experiences that I had in the local church and the way the local church formed me, you know, from from when I was a child all the way through now, I can honestly say, if, if if you took my life and did like a rewind, you know, button and scrubbed out all of the interaction that I've had with the local church, it's kind of, it's frightening for me to think about what my life would be like. I can honestly say I would be, if you, if you scrubbed out everything so there was no involvement at all with the local church, I would be a very different person. I don't know if I would honestly, and I'm not saying this to kind of be dramatic, I'm not, I'm not sure I'd, really, I'd be alive if you took out the way the local church formed me. The way the, the, way the local church formed my, my sense of morality. I learned in the local church that... I could lie, I could, you know, I could sneak out and go into the dugout, you know, behind the church. I could try to get away with things, but, but that, that God sees everything. And that ultimately, it doesn't matter, I could fool us, but I'm not, I'm not going to fool God. God's going to know what's going on and that God loves me and that he's not going to let me get away with things. I learned that there were consequences to actions, I heard, you know, I learned in the local church... I learned that, you know, sin might be fun for a season. It might be fun for a little while, but it's, but it's like a little, you know, it's a little bit of pleasure followed by a lot of pain. I learned that, that there, are, there are consequences, that it's a bad deal. It's in the local church that I learned about the power of forgiveness. I learned, you know, just praying that, you know, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And so I learned in the local church that, you know what, I, I need to be forgiven. I don't have to carry around shame and guilt you know, that, that quote that Michael shared, I think, I think I'd heard that somewhere. And, 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 and I've heard other people who were atheists. There this one atheist who said, who said that, you know, she, what she really missed, she was having a debate with a Christian. And she said, what I, what I really missed, what I, well, the only thing, I don't believe there's a God, but the only thing that I really envy you, where, I, where I'm envious of you, is you have someone to forgive you and I have no one to forgive me. And she knew that she needed forgiveness. It was in the local church that I learned about bitterness and resentment and that if I hold on to unforgiveness and anger, it'll just eat me up. And as they say, you know, it's a poison that we drink, thinking that it'll harm our enemies. It's in the local church that I had, a, I had a sense of purpose instilled in me. I was told all throughout my life, I was told that God loved me and had a wonderful plan for my life. And so I was, I was given this message all throughout my life. I had this message that was reinforced to me over and over again that I was made on purpose for a purpose. And that's a, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal for, for a kid kind of growing up, you know, going through life, making decisions, being told, you are made on purpose for a purpose. And there are a lot of people, more and more people, people who do not live with that. And we're seeing in our society more and more people who, who do not, they have this like freedom, they can kind of do whatever they want, but they, they don't have a sense of purpose in their life. Somerset Maugham, who was a, an author, uh, he was a really huge author in the, in the beginning of the 20th century. He was a British playwright and novelist. He said this, just, you know, very honestly. He said, if one puts aside the existence of God and the survival after life is too doubtful, one has to make up one, one's mind as to the use of life. If death ends all, if I have neither to hope for good nor fear evil, I must ask myself, what am I here for, and how in these circumstances I must conduct myself? Now, the answer is plain, but so unpalatable that most will not face it. There is no meaning for life, and thus life has no meaning. Then Jean-Paul Sartre, who was a French philosopher, a political activist, he said this, he said, it was true. I had always realized it, I hadn't any right to exist at all. I had appeared by chance. I existed like a stone, a plant, a microbe. I could feel nothing to myself but an inconsequential buzzing. I was thinking that here we are eating and drinking to preserve our precious existence and that there's nothing, nothing, absolutely no reason for existing. But I was told God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. I was told that I exist on purpose for a purpose. I have four kids. My, my son's 24, he's out of college, daughter 21, she's in grad school. I have twin 17-year-olds. And so they're seniors in high school and so you can imagine over the last few months there's been a lot of talks about what colleges are we going to go to, what are we going to do for our future. And there's, you know, I mean it's a stressful thing for like a 17 year old to have to figure out like where they're going to go to school, what they're going to study. We have sent non-refundable deposits to two universities that my daughters currently now have no plan on attending. Uh, I'm hoping that that's the end of it. I'm hoping we won't be sending any more non-refundable deposits to other schools that they don't want to go to. But all throughout, for all of my kids, and especially, I've just noticed it, I've just seen it again and again with Sophie and Lily, that as as they have struggled with decisions and as they have thought about what to do, my wife just over and over again to the point where like my kids might give a little bit of an eye roll when she does it because she just kind of says it over and over again we will just say like hey you know what you need to pray about that you need to pray about it because God has a plan for you and so that's what my kids have heard what a, what a gift what an incredible thing to be told that you are you are made on purpose for a purpose that, that God, has, God has created you intentionally and there are good deeds that he's prepared in advance for you to do. And that as he guides you, as he leads you, your life, not only does it have purpose from now, you're going to lay up treasures for heaven. You're going to do things on earth that can count and that can matter for all of eternity. That is a lot different from what Jean-Paul Sartre was thinking about life and what, what millions of people think about life right now today. I think about, you know, so many people. Their dream is to Travel. So many people they say, "Oh, if I just hit the lottery, or oh, if I retired, I just I would just love to travel." And it's because of the local church that I have been able to see a window of 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 what God is doing all over the world. I'm sure many of you have had opportunities to do that. I think about, you know, uh, 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 for so many people traveling, what it means is that you go and you stay in a nice hotel and. ...and you eat at some nice restaurants and you see some touristy things... ...and maybe, maybe you try out a little bit of the language with the, you know, with the waiter or the waitress... ...but for me, and I'm sure for many of you traveling around the world... ...it meant sleeping on the floors of churches in like really remote areas. You know That's when I was younger, I don't do that so much anymore. Uh, but men always meant staying in people's houses. I remember a couple of years ago, I was in Chile... ...and it was the first time I'd gone down to Chile... ...and, and uh, I was doing a, a church planning conference down in Chile and I had done in the vineyard up here I had done overseen a lot of adoptions you know when churches want to kind of enter when they want to come into the vineyard and, uh, and so they were getting ready to adopt two churches into the vineyard. And so they said, hey, we know you've done some adoptions. We're going to have a, have a dinner with all the leaders of the Chilean vineyards and these two couples that want to plant in, uh, adopt in. And so would you just come and share a little bit about the process of adoption and what you've learned? I said, okay, great. So we're sitting, you know, we're sitting just, we're in, we're in Santiago, Chile. We're sitting in the backyard, eating the most incredible steak, drinking the most incredible wine, sitting with these people. I didn't really know anybody. I had just met people just recently and so it was time it was time for us to you know kind of transition and start talking about the adoption and so I said hey let's let's go around the table and let's just say you know what it is we love about the vineyard what it is that we love about our tribe and you know we're just from you know they're from Santiago Chile's like the other side of the world you know and and they're going around the table and everybody is talking about what they've experienced and, and what, they've, what they've experienced in the local church, you know, the tribe that we call Vineyard. And I just had tears in my eyes because I thought, here are people who live on the other side of the world and they love the exact same thing that I love. And I remember it was one of those moments that I just thought, man, my life is so rich. I mean, God, God has been so good. You know, it, it was in the local church that I first encountered the, the presence of God. You know, I, I grew up in a church where, you know, yeah, I heard the message of the gospel, but there wasn't really an understanding of the numinous or the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I remember I got invited, It was I was 17 years old, and I got invited by someone to go to this little charismatic church. And so for the first time, you know, doing worship without an organ, but as people sitting around in a circle with guitars, and the presence of God just fell. And I remember, I'm just like it was yesterday, just thinking, what was that? I want more of that. I mean, that is, that is what I'm after. You know, and I can just kind of think about my life and, and, just, and just think about all the ways that the local church brought such incredible blessing. Just seeing that, that following Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. And Jesus is the head of the church. And that's the, that's the message. That's what we've been given. And we live in a time right now where, where more and more people don't value the church. We live in a time where more and more people... They they don't understand the the influence of the local church. They don't understand the importance of the local church. And maybe sometimes we don't really understand the importance of it. You know, they they did this study recently... uh, That I was reading about about church attendance in the United States. And and so uh, they did a survey... And it was, it was stated that, that 40% of people go to church on a Sunday in the, in the United States or go to some kind of religious services. But they were saying that's probably what's called the halo effect, which means people kind of give the answer that they think they should give. And so the answer is probably, probably more like 20%. You know, I live in a part of the country where I think it's significantly less than that. And so here's, I mean, just something for us to think through. There are negative consequences for our towns, for our cities, for our country... ...as the influence of the local church becomes less and less. There are a lot of negative consequences. There are a lot of things that Americans take for granted... ...as American values, as democratic values, as as progressive values... ...that we don't understand have their roots in the church. That we think this way, we have these things because of the influence of the church. Let me give you a couple of examples... It's the church that provides the strongest argument for the dignity of individuals and for human rights. Because we are created by God before, before anything else. And so we get that in the church. We get that from Psalm 139, you know, verse 13 to 14, among other places. Where it says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. See, we think that this, like, you know, dignity of everyone and freedom, that this is a progressive value or a democratic value. No, it's a biblical value. It's a Christian value. And this thing of, like, of caring for people, this is something, you know, there, there were no hospitals in the Greek and Roman world. Sick people, you know, in the Greek and Roman world... ...if somebody got sick, if there was a plague or something... ...people would just kind of die in the streets. Mercy was seen as a weakness. Mercy by philosophers, it was, it was just seen as something that was... ...a weakness that was beneath you. This, uh, this, uh, this Roman emperor known as Julian the Apostate in 360 AD... ...he said this uh, about Christians. He said, those impious Galileans not only feed their own poor but ours also. I love that phrase, impious Galileans. If anyone's going to form a band, that would be a great name for a band. Impious Galileans. Not only feed their own poor, but ours also. Whilst the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans devote themselves to works of charity. So so Roy Porter, who wrote this book, he's not a Christian. He wrote the book, The Medical History of Humanity. And, And what he says in this is that Christianity planted the hospital. Because before Christianity, before the influence of the local church, there was people thought the way the Greeks and Romans did. There were no hospitals. And so now we have this value of caring for the poor, caring for the sick. We got that from the church. Another example, you know, in England, when it eradicated slavery, the horrible scourge of slavery was eradicated in 1807. There was a man named William Wilberforce, and he was a Christian. He's someone who powerfully met Jesus. And he was the one for 20 years who said over and over again, this, this slave trade from Africa is an absolute scourge. It has to be stopped. And for 20 years, he fought against it. And so his, his biggest opponent was the utilitarian philosopher David Hume, whose argument was that, was that, well, because blacks were inferior, it was okay to enslave them. But William Wilberforce came back and said, no, that is not true, because every single human being has unsurpassable worth because they're made in the image of God. And so after a 20-year battle, slavery was eradicated in England, and then 50-some-odd years later, followed in the United States and other places. But it was the message of the church. It was the value that was given from the church that led to that. Even Martin Luther King, Jr. So We don't understand that Martin Luther King, Jr., he was someone who was formed in the church. He was a pastor. He was a man of God. I mean, if you, you know read his, his, uh, his, his letter from... What is the, 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 the book? Letters from... Uh, the Montgomery jail. And he talks about just a moment where he was ready to just give up, where he's getting death threats and and calling in bomb threats and you know things are he's worried about his wife and his family, he's ready to give up. And he says sitting at the table as he's praying, God, I don't know what to do. The presence of God came upon him and that's what gave him the strength to keep going. And he said this, he said, if any earthly institution or custom conflicts with God's will, it is your Christian duty to oppose it. You must never allow the transitory evanescent demands of man-made institutions to take precedence over the eternal demands of the Almighty God. And so just, I mean, I could give you example after example after example of how all of these things that we think like, oh, these are great things, these are great values, they came from the church. You know, let me give you, you know, just a a couple couple of other examples. You know, there was uh, we we um, you know we we know about the the horrible scourge of of Nazism in the beginning of the twentieth century, and the the philosophy that was behind that was, was eugenics. And eugenics was this was this belief that only the strong should survive and so that we should genetically just kind of just kind of weed out you know the weak and that's why there was the holocaust and and the genocide with jewish people and others and what what i didn't realize is that eugenics this philosophy of like well let's have you know the aryan nation and only the only the you know the pure you know just you know perfect genetics that almost took root in the united states that it almost took root in the United States and a lot of the people that we have, you know, names that we have like on big buildings and, you know, that uh, the cities are named after, kind of got caught up in this. And so some of, the, uh, some of the proponents of eugenics in the earliest 20th century, it was funded by the Carnegie Group, the Rockefeller Group. Members included Alexander Graham Bell, the president of Stanford at the time, and Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood. And... It, and uh, and, and if it wasn't for the local church, if it wasn't for the local church, they rising up and saying, no, every human being has value. The weak are to be loved and cared for, not euthanized. See, the local church, all through history, has been the only organization that consistently says every single person matters. Amen. So I want us to think about the influence of the local church. I want us to think about what it is that God has called us to do, what it is that he's called us to be a part of. Because there's something in the local church, you know, if, if, if every single human being began to follow the teachings, but the one, this one specific teaching of Jesus, if every single human being did it, everything would be different. And you see, the thing about well, the message of Jesus, the message of the local church, is it can, it can inspire like nothing else. You know, governments, governments can't inspire I mean, so many people are just really, you know, caught up, excited about government. Governments certainly have a place. They have a God-given place. But governments can't inspire. What governments can do is governments basically, they can tell you how bad your behavior can be before you get put in jail. I mean, that's basically, governments don't inspire. They just tell you like, okay, well, you just kind of live your, but if you start going like below this, we're going to have to put you away and kind of take you away from it. But they don't inspire. You know, media doesn't inspire. Schools can educate, but they don't inspire. But Jesus said this, this inspires. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And I love what it says. It says that, hey, listen, if you love God with all that you are, then you're going to be able to love your neighbor as yourself. You can't love your neighbor as yourself without loving God and you can't love God without loving your neighbor. And so just imagine, imagine what it would be like in the world, if every single person really started living this out, think about how things would be different. You wouldn't need, you know, the, the hashtag Me Too movement because nobody would be uh, treating women the way that, that men have been treating women. You wouldn't need that. We wouldn't have to have these horrible discussions and things like what just would came out of, you know, what happened in Florida. I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't need to have a police force. Right, I mean, we, the only reason we'd need to have a police force would be to direct traffic... ...because everybody would be loving their neighbors themselves... ...and they'd be saying, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go... ...and the cop would have to say, well, one of you go, and kind of direct... ...we wouldn't need to have lawyers, we wouldn't need to have courts... ...everything would be different if we if we followed just the, that one thing that Jesus said... ...that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength... ...and, and we loved our neighbor as ourselves. we may say, well, that's crazy... ...I mean, that's idealistic, that's wonderful, but that could never happen... ...things like that have happened throughout history. In the early 1800s, there was this this revival that happened in the slums of England... ...through uh, John Wesley and the Methodist revival. And uh, things were really bad in the slums of England. I mean, the the, the, um, illegitimacy rate was like almost 50%. The crime was just completely out of control. And then this revival happened. Then God began to move and God began to work and things began to change... And so the illegitimacy rate fell all the way down to 3%. Crime was cut, you know, uh, by more than, more than half. Society was changed. And what people say, what historians say, is that if it wasn't for the Methodist revival, England would have had a revolution just like France had, but it probably would have been bloodier. It probably would have been worse. But it was the local church that kept England from having, from having a bloody revolution because the local church began to influence society. Robert Putnam in the book, Bowling Alone, he documented that religious Americans, Americans who were influenced by the local church, are more likely to give money to a homeless person, return excess change to a store clerk, donate blood, help a sick neighbor with housework or shopping, spend time with someone who's depressed, offer a seat to a stranger, or help someone find a job. Regular church attenders give almost four times as much to charity as their secular neighbors and twice as many of them do volunteer work among the poor, the infirm, or the elderly. Is that because people who go to church are better than other people? Absolutely not. But it's because we have come into an organization, we have come into a body where the head is Jesus Christ. And because we start to get influenced by Jesus Christ, because our lives, we start yielding control to Jesus, our lives begin to change as we come under the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think what we need, what, 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 what followers of Jesus need, is we need to kind of rise up. And we need to realize like what God has given us. And we need to realize what's possible. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 13 to 18. it It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not to reveal to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And what he's saying is, like, listen, here's, here's what I'm going to do, guys. I said this 2,000 years ago. On this truth that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon that, upon that truth, he says, I'm going to build my church. And upon that truth, I'm going to start communities all over the world. And I'm going to inhabit these communities. And my spirit is going to dwell in these communities. And you know what? The, 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 gates of, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You know, here's the thing. One of the reasons I think sometimes why, you know, things can be kind of hard in the church is because there's no other institution, there's no other organization that Satan opposes. You know, Satan doesn't oppose like Apple. You know, I mean, he does in that he's like against human flourishing in any form. But he doesn't specifically oppose. He opposes the church. Because of, because of what it is that God has given us. Because, because of what it means for us to be part of his body. For what it means the message of the gospel that has been entrusted to us. The power of the Holy Spirit that has been poured out. And what he says is that, you know what, I'm going to have these communities. And upon this rock, I'm going to build this church. build my church. And there are communities that are all over the world. And we worship followers of Jesus. We worship in lots of different ways. Some wear robes, some have bells, some have electric guitars and drums, or, you know, all sorts of different ways. But we gather around the central idea that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he is the head of the church. And we have been, especially at a time right now, when so so many people are looking for answers where it just seems that like every day we read the news, every day we see what's going on, it just seems like everything is being shaken over and over and over again. We need to realize that what we do here really matters. We need to believe that we are the hope of the world. And I think we're, you know, I don't know what the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years are going to look like, but why can't there be some, some incredible move of God? Why can't, there, why can't there be something as, as, as we realize what it, what it means for us to follow Jesus, what it means for us to be the local church, what it means for us to be filled up and sent out, as we, as we really start to get a conviction and just say like, you know what, my neighbors, the people all around, they are, as the Bible says, without hope and without God in this world. And I want them to discover the wonderful things that I found in Jesus. I want to see them begin, begin realizing that, 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 that they were made on purpose for a purpose. I want them to begin to realize that, that, uh, that, that you know, Jesus, Jesus makes life better and makes us better at life. I want them to experience the good things that I've experienced. And I just, I just believe that God, is, that God is doing something. And I think that God is, is just kind of stirring us. And I just, wanna, I just wanted to deliver this message to you guys. Although so I know a little bit different, talking about, you know, historically things that God has done. And, but I, I just felt I was supposed to just kind of share this with you guys. And just to say to you, what, what you do really matters. I mean, it really matters. And I want to say to those of you who are, you know, maybe some of you, you're attending tonight because tomorrow you're going to be with kids for, uh, for the services. That really matters. I mean, you, you have no idea what it is that you're doing. And those of you who come early and you set up the chairs, or you know what, all the different ways that we reach out, all the things that you do, I just want to say to you that what you are doing, it not only matters for right now, it's not only a nice thing to do, it is something that matters for eternity because you are a part of the church of Jesus Christ. He is the head of it, and it is the hope of the world. And he said, there's going to be a lot coming against it, but nothing is going to work, because I am going to build my church, and the gates of Hades will come against it, but they will not prevail. And I, you know, I, I just hope that maybe we can just get a little bit of a, of a stronger vision of what it is God's called us to, of just how much it matters. A little bit of appreciation, just even for our own life what it means that we can come here and we can worship Jesus and we can be in his presence and we can experience his grace and we can experience his forgiveness. And that as we appreciate it more and more, that our love for Jesus would grow and that as our love for him would grow, that just our, our, our sense of mission, our sense of purpose, our sense of that God has, has placed us here for such a time as this. I mean, do you realize that it's an absolute mystery that you exist? I mean, it's, a, it's, it's just the odds that you would actually live. The odds are so stacked against you existing. I, read, I heard someone say the odds. When you figure about like your parents meeting and generations, you know, going back generations. I, I read that, that it's kind of like to understand what a long shot it is that you would be alive. They said, imagine if you took, if you took the, uh, all of the oceans in the world and you threw one life preserver into that into the ocean you know just some random place one life preserver and there was one turtle that was in the ocean the odds that you were that you would exist are the odds that when the turtle comes above you know breaks the surface of the water that he would come up in the middle of that life preserver on the first try why do you live why are you here why has god put you here because you were made on purpose for a purpose And I just want to encourage you, you know what, that you could, as as you think about your life and as you continue to get more and more involved in this church, that you understand that that, that you can know God and that you can can discover your purpose and you can live your life making a difference and you can join all of the, the cloud of witnesses, all of the saints for thousands of years who have served Jesus and made a difference in their generation. That is the opportunity that we have. And it is such an incredible privilege and it is such a wonder, such a joy that we get to, you know, you guys, I know you You got your jobs and you got your families and you got your hobbies and you got all got all this important stuff that you do, stuff that really matters. But in the midst of it, you can be centering your life on Jesus and you can be serving Him and you can be finding ways that do things that really matter, that can affect people's eternities. And we can know that no matter what, no matter what happens in life, No matter what's going on, because we're connected to Jesus, that God can cause all things to work together for good. And so we can just live knowing that no matter what, we have a purpose, we have a God who loves us, and we have a mission, and we have an opportunity to bring to the world what it desperately needs, which is the love of Jesus. Let's pray. let's, let's Let's all stand. Come, Holy Spirit. God, I just, Lord, I bless your presence here. God, I thank you for this church. God, I thank you for what you're doing in it. I thank you for what you're doing through it. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just come right now and that you would just begin, Lord, to fall on us, to fill us, to strengthen us. I just get this sense right now that, that some of you, you, you know that you have a calling on your life. You know that there's like a specific thing that God has really spoken to you, that some kind of ministry, something that, that, that he's communicated is, is on your life. And for whatever reason, it's been kind of put off to the side. I just kind of see this picture of, of something like on a shelf. And I feel that maybe for some of you right now, God is, God is saying it's time for that to come off the shelf. It's time, to, it's time for that to come off the shelf. And maybe, you know what, there was this thing, maybe even for years you've just tried to kind of put it out of your mind, but you just, you can't, you can't get it out of your mind. Because it's something that God has called you to. And it's a good work that he started in you and he's going to finish it. And so Lord, I just, I just bless that God. I pray that you would... God, that you would just awaken callings right now. You would awaken callings. So, I don't know, I just feel like there's someone that you've really just felt like God is, God is calling you to be involved in helping to, to, to rescue people who are being trafficked. And you know, how, what does that look like? How do I do that from here? But, but that is something that God has really put on your heart and it's something that God has put on your heart and it's the way that Jesus wants to manifest his justice through you. Lord I just, I just bless that God I bless that vision I bless that dream I think, there's, I think there's, there's someone here maybe more than one person where you've just been kind of wondering about planting a church it's something that's just been kind of stirring up in you wondering and, and, and I think maybe even, maybe even right now the Lord is just kind of confirming that to you that he's, he's calling you to plant the church he's calling you to to create one of these jesus communities that that he's the head of and so lord i just god i just pray in jesus name god that you would come that you draw near that you would fill us you know we have this incredible mission we we have this incredible history we have this incredible head But the disciples knew that they couldn't go and do what they were called to do until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so they waited. You know, the one thing that they kind of did right is that they listened to Jesus and they waited to be, to be filled with the Holy Spirit before they went and, and changed the world. And so I, just, I just, just believe the Lord is here right now and He just wants to draw near and He just wants to fill us. And so just, you know, if you're comfortable, just lift your hands up like this. And just in your heart say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. I want to serve you. I want to know you. I want to love you. I surrender myself to you again, God. I surrender all to you, God. I surrender all to your purposes. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come, Lord. Bless your presence. Bless your presence. Yeah, God, I just I pray right now, Lord, you would open up the eyes of our hearts to just how much you love us, how you're for us, Lord. Let it come. Thank you, God. And just see the Lord just really beginning to rest on some of you. Just kind of feel His his presence, feel Him just kind of drawing near. Just take a moment. Just in your heart, say, Lord, more. Lord, I surrender. Give you all that I am, Lord. I want to serve you. And I want to serve the church. I want to serve your church. So I bless your presence. We're going to do ministry. And, I, you know, if you just, if you, if you sense the lord's presence on you just come on up if you sense if you sense however it is if you sense god stirring you speaking the weight of his presence i think i think some of you right now you're you're feeling this like like tingling in your hands i think god wants to wants to pour out even gifts of healing you know one of the things too the one not only do we have an incredible message we have we have his gifts we have the power of the holy spirit that that would, and as the gifts of the Holy Spirit flow, the effectiveness of the church just increases. We want to pray that God would pour out spiritual gifts. Yeah, so I think some of you, you know, maybe you, you know, you might feel something in your hands. Come on up. We want to just bless. I think those are those are kind of healing anointings that God is putting on you. I think some of you right now, you're there's like a like a ringing in your ear. There's just even like, like a pressure. God God wants you to hear His voice. God wants you to, to know his voice. So Lord, I just bless your presence here in this room. Bless your presence here in this room, God. I pray that you'd open up our ears to be able to, be able to hear you, God, to be able to hear your voice. And so just, yeah, just come on up. We want to pray for you.
3: You know, there are a number of people here, I believe when Phil was talking about uh, the, just a sense of call in your life, there are a number of folks here who at one point in your life you were you are far more active, you are far more engaged, you are far more in tune with God's hand on you and and a desire to be used by him. But you, you got shelved. For some of you, you were shelved because other people just uh, pushed you aside. Other people put you on a shelf. Some of you put yourselves on a shelf because of failure, because of disappointment. But I believe one of the things the Lord wants to do tonight is renew that sense of calling renew that that sense of of his hand on you that he has a purpose for you Mm -hmm. so if you're one of those individuals who have either been shelved by another or shelved yourself who find yourself just kind of dry and passive over time i really invite you to come forward and and just allow the lord to refresh you
2: yeah so bless your presence god come on up pray for more lord let it come let it come. You know what? If you, if you serve here, whatever capacity, whether it's with kids, whether it's with the youth, whether whatever, whatever ministry, I don't know all the ministries that are here, but if you serve here, I want to pray for you that God would just fill you with the Holy Spirit so that everything that you do is done with him, done with his strength, that God would just, would just renew you and just really anoint and empower whatever active service it is that you do. So, so just come on up. If you serve in any capacity, let's pray for you. Let's pray that God would just fill you.
3: Let's make sure everybody that's at the front has someone praying for them. So come on up. Just ask them what they need prayer for. and Just ask God to come and touch them.
2: More, Lord. Let it come. Let it come. Bless your presence, God. Thank you, Jesus.
3: Use some more prayers, a number of more. Come on up. We have a number of people over here. Still have some people on this side over here. So if you're part of the church, just come and ask God to use you as a conduit of his love and his power. Still need some more men to come up and pray right over here. Bless what you're doing. I just ask you to open heaven up, Lord. Just open heaven up. Just allow there to be broadened vision, increased vision, new vision. Lord, just speak to your sons and your daughters. Speak of the, the high calling on our lives. The purposes for which you've, you've created us. Lord, draw your sons and daughters back into the plans that have been forsaken, the plans that have been stolen. Come, Holy Spirit, release release us as individuals. Release this church into your purposes, into your plans, filled with your spirit, with expectation of your power anticipation of your fruit. Come and use us, Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. If you're getting prayer, feel free to continue. Otherwise, God bless you. Don't forget, if you're here newer to the vineyard, if you've never come back to the visitor welcome, just slip back there real quick. Let us say hi to you and get you your gift. We're glad you're here with us tonight. Hope to see you again.
4: You're hidden. silence the boat